The only validation that I really care about is being read and enjoyed by people that I personally respect. I think this is the big difference between fiction writers and poets. Yeah. You would rather randos. Well, both. But, yeah. like, I want, like, actual, like, yeah. success. <laughs> what, is, what is actual success just... to you, Autumn? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sorry, we can't all be Rupi Carr. All right, what's up, everybody? This is Other Life. I am Justin Murphy. I just wanted to let you know that I write a free newsletter to thousands of people every week. It's where I publish my best work, I share events that you can come to, and much more. We have an insane private community around the newsletter, and it's free. Go check it out. Just go to otherlife.co. That's otherlife.co. When you subscribe, I'm going to send you a folder of PDFs that contain all of my personal highlights from a bunch of my favorite books that I've read over the years. So you'll get a million insights after just a few minutes of browsing these PDFs, really. They're really special to me, and I just figured I'd share them with you all. So that's otherlife.co, otherlife.co. All right, Steph, Autumn, thanks for coming out. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Of course. We trekked all the way downtown, had to pay for parking. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm excited. Like to it talk. was very grueling. Yeah. I'm excited to talk with both of you. Steph, I know you better than Autumn, uh, but Autumn, I was reading through your blog posts and going through your books, and you've published many books. Uh, you're a novelist. So I want to start with you because I know Steph better than you. So I want to start with you, Autumn, because I was going through some of your blog posts, and honestly, a lot of it resonated with me. There was the particular post where you're talking about kind of your history writing in the horror community mm-hmm. and how you kind of left all of that. Right. And yeah. you, you describe it as as ruining your writing career. But in that essay where you talk about, you know, why you ruined your writing career, you said a lot of stuff that that actually really, you know, touched me. You were talking about how, you know, you're just all you really care about is is writing the best writing you can and that you're always going to do that no matter what and that you don't really care about money. You don't really care if you have friends or not. You just truly live for the writing and your goal is to write the best writing possible and you're going to do that no matter what come hell or high water. And that 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 hit me. I, I feel that for sure. So I want to talk a little bit about that. Why don't you tell us um, just a little bit about your story and like how you were involved in the horror community and then why you chose to leave it and just kind of like how you think about, you know, uh, writing in your life and, and how you think about your career. Yeah, sure. Um, so I published about four books at this point. I have a fifth coming out. My last one was called uh, Girl Like a Bomb. I don't know where it Yeah, went. we have it here. We have it somewhere. <laughs> I bought it. Boom. Yeah. There we go. And so I never really considered myself a horror writer, but that's kind of like I wouldn't consider that a horror book. It's more like a literary book, but that's kind of like the niche I got put into. Um and there was another community called Bizarro, but like after that, it was more like the horror community. Um, and I think I'm one of those annoying people that's like uh, like a purist, like about the art. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, those kind of people that you just like, you know, shove over there. You don't want to talk to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, like every community starts to have their own like set of morals, like instead of values. And I think like after the 26th election, like that sort of like politics started like in like influencing art more than it had before to the point where like books were sort of picked apart like for their content and then like the writers were sort of like judged for the content which is like if you're writing something like horror it's kind of uh an issue because like you're supposed to be sort of dealing with like the dark like underworld of like and like your shadow self and everything um and i don't want to get into specifics because like 
um, I don't want to call out like any names on the podcast, um, but after a couple seeing a couple writers like ousted basically for things that to me seemed like very insignificant, I just like decided that I was done with it, but that I wasn't going to wait until I got canceled because <laughs> I felt like it was inevitable just because like I'm not in that same political sphere as everyone else. So yeah, I wrote that post that was basically about like, um, I could see this affecting me like creatively. Cause like, if you're sort of using like the political sphere as like influence on your writing, like you're not going to be able to like pull from that sort of like dark, um, confusing, like sort of like creative place right, that totally. you need to be. Yeah. So you preemptively canceled yourself. Yes. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> It's, it's actually really smart, honestly, because you're right. That fear and anxiety about being canceled can just choke you off completely, you know, and, and like that's no good. So it makes a lot of sense to pre-cancel yourself so then you're free and then you can like get out ahead of everyone else because you're actually <laughs> doing real stuff because you've liberated yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. So how did how did that go down? Like, were you like deep in the horror community and like, did was it like turbulent and like a bunch of people hated you or like, did they kind of let you go quietly or <laughs> how did it go down? Um, I was never like part of the HWA, um, like which is the Horror Writers Association. And that's a big part of it. I was never really part of like the community organization, but I was like a writer in that community. Um, I probably could have qualified for the HWA, but like I just didn't want to join. Um, and yeah, they were... Uh, they were very upset at me um, for a while, um, and I think I think a lot of people in that sphere have that fear of like just being alienated by everyone they know, like getting dragged like by people they don't know, like by their the writers they really admire, and like that hurt a little bit because like you would see people, I would see people that I really liked being like, well like this person this is a ter this is a terrible like horrible person, but like then after it was over it was like it had already happened and like it didn't have to affect me anymore. So it was like, yeah, I was like, I was free. <laughs> right. Okay. Nice. So are you happy with that? Path? Yeah. Yeah. And I actually have noticed a significant like improvement in my writing since I did that. Okay. Amazing. And you met Steph, I believe on Twitter, right? Yeah, we did. And so was this kind of alternative culture that emerges on Twitter, a kind of like alternative to you in a way was that part of the calculus like oh there's cool people like stuff there's in there's actually interesting you know like uh liberated thinkers and writers out in the wild i don't need this like little small horror community yeah. i'm gonna like fuck with people like steph and all, all those people on the yeah. internet is that part of the logic yeah because you start to like get so into the little like cloistered group you start to think like this is the whole world and it's yeah, not yeah. it's not even it's not even a fraction of like the writers that exist out there so i sort of started to think like you know these people like you ha you have to be like authentically you or you're not gonna find the people that like you're that are your true friends and so i think when i met steph i was becoming more like um like expressive and like um, trying to be like more authentic and then in that way you can find people that you actually like care about and not just people that are there for like clout or whatever right okay okay fascinating so and Steph for your part you're a poet and you yeah. are at, in grad school at the mm -hmm. University of Texas yeah. here mm -hmm. and I'd like to learn a little bit more from you Steph about how you think about your career you just have a yeah. chapbook out now which is another you know proximate trigger for doing this podcast it's called name and noun 
you can buy it on the internet. Yeah. But I want to talk more with you because you're very active on the internet. You seem to have done a pretty good job for yourself of, you know, maintaining freedom. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're pretty wild. You you think pretty wildly. And, well, I don't mean it. No, I don't mean it in a bad I don't, I'm not saying you're like yeah. particularly edgy or naughty or anything right, like that. Right, but, yeah. but you seem like a truly like free spirit mm-hmm. and you seem like you're not very constrained or constricted by these anxieties of like cancel culture and stuff like you seem yeah. you seem like pretty you seem like you've done a good job of of, mm-hmm. of keeping yourself like mentally and creatively liberated yeah um but you're also in grad school so i'm I, yeah. i'd like to, the first thing i want to talk with you about and this will kind of connect with wh- how you met autumn and we'll talk about this all together is like how you think about your career as a writer because you're yeah. in grad school mm-hmm. so obviously you have some kind of professional right. orientation to, to writing but you're also active on the internet yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah, you seem to, you know, take that seriously mm-hmm. as well. So, like, how do you think about these different pathways to, like, pursuing writing over the long term? Yeah. I'm just curious, like, if you haven't, how do you think about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I can talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, so, first of all, um, you've been on the internet way longer than I have. Or at least I will say on Twitter. Yeah. Um, so, like, yeah. when when the stuff went down with you, like, I actually wasn't, I don't even think I had an account yet. Um, and so, yeah, I, I mean, I was a, I was a normie up until two and a half years ago. Um, and I was actually taking this adult ed, um, like poetry, whoops, poetry class, um, you know, at night, uh, in like a dilapidated building downtown in mm. Boston. Um, and my instructor was basically like, you know, to all of the students there, she was like, if you want to be a writer, you absolutely have to get on Twitter. Like, it's like having a LinkedIn account. Like, you have to be on their hashtagging writing community, <laughs> you know, hashtag writers lift, whatever. And and I was like, oh. you know, I, if it's like LinkedIn, you know, it's like, you know, I, I guess I better create an account. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, and that was very much how my instructor used it. Right. Um, and, and so I created an account. It was a face account. I, I put my full sort of social security name on there. Um, and I, I logged on. Uh, this was like a few months before COVID. Um, and I think, you know, it's kind of funny that we're sort of even all in the same room together. But, you know, the, the kind of strange cumulative network effects that the algorithm sort of um, has, you know, I, at first I logged on, I was like fully intending to just like use Twitter, like LinkedIn, basically. Right. I did not understand its potential as sort of like, um, you know, like as a social network. And um, and I think what happens is, you know, sort of all um, high verbal, you know, high verbal IQ people with a sense of humor sort of drift towards our corner of Twitter. Mm. And so that just kind of naturally happened to me. Um, and then in, you know, in, in January of, was it 2000, shit, is it 2019? <laughs> um, you know, when, when the, the, like a bunch of anonymous accounts started putting hazmat suits into their avatars and they were like, okay, there's this virus that's coming. And I was like, what is this shit? You know, I was like watching the mainstream news and like nothing. And then they were like, oh, well, you know, whatever. Um, And that's kind of when I had this moment when I was like, oh, um, you know, there's really something here um, that there's like stuff that is being talked about. Um, sort of in this in this corner of Twitter that that is preempting um, and, and not being talked about, um, you know, sort of through mainstream media. And, and that's kind of how I found um, found my way to that corner. Um, and, and, and it was not for sort of career reasons. Right. It was sort of like, here is this sort of like, you know, 
the real sort of like breaking through and uh, and and sort of dashing everything that I had, um, you know, sort of just believed in hook, line and sinker up until then. Um, and, and so I started connecting with people like, you know, yourself and Autumn and so forth. Um, That's a really interesting yeah. story because your teacher who, t- who told you that Twitter is super important and right. powerful, in a way she was really wrong and yeah. in a way she was really right, right? Yeah. Like the way right. she thought it was going to be mm-hmm. useful and important as a kind of LinkedIn, yeah. she was totally wrong. Right. But it actually ended up being right that, I mean, right now, mm-hmm. if you traffic in words, Twitter is kind of like right. the most powerful mm-hmm. thing in the world right now. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, it kind of just is. Yeah. Um, and so she was, she was interestingly right and wrong mm-hmm. at the same time. Was she like older? Was she like a boomer or? No, you know what? She was like, um, you know, she was my age or perhaps even younger a little right, bit. Right, but at that time, even know? people like us kind of like right. didn't realize how mm-hmm. it would work. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and I think she's still using it that way is the thing is like that this is, you know, this is a website with many different sort of like factions and areas and and some people just never wander over some people never right. find and autumn um, were your books published were they self-published or they went through a publisher um like two of them were self-published and then the last couple have been through a publisher okay. the girl like a bomb was published by uh clash books so i'd love to hear your perspectives like how you know is something like Twitter and the kind of independent alt lit kind of like cultures that are reemerging and, and reblooming right now in, in a kind of big way, it seems. Is that like so much the future that you would like put all your eggs in that basket? You think like that's going to be the future of writing? Or do you still think like, you know, the institutional circuits are going to be are still going to matter? You know, we can maybe bring in the distinction between like self-publishing or traditional publishing. I'm just curious, like I'm sure you both think about this a lot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. what kinds of uh, convictions and determinations have you come to when you think about like the, the, the distribution of power in writing and what paths to take and what paths not to take? I have thoughts. But like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, um, yeah, like you mentioned before, I am in a graduate MFA program right now. It is funded, so at least I'm not paying for it. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think to sort of be a contrarian among contrarians, I, I would say, you know, and this is my genuine belief, like there is value in in going through the institutional arts route. Like the, some of my instructors are um, just brilliant, sort of amazing um, thinkers who were, who were trained, you know, under the last wave of uh, really great, like modernist poets. And um, I... I think honestly, you don't really have access to that outside mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, of the traditional MFA program as it stands, um, and um, and so and, and so I think there is real value um, because there's still talent and like genius that is locked up um, under our existing institutions, um, you know, sort of decaying as they might be in, right. in certain other ways. Um, so I do think that is a useful route. Um, but as for like the future, um, I think that it's going to become, you know, sort of just, uh, more diffuse, I guess. Like there's just going to be more sort of routes that people can take, um, and probably have to take, right. Because they're just not enough sort of, um, whatever, like slots for, um, you know, (laughs) overeducated, you know, a <laughs> liberal woman like like me or whatever. Um, so, laptop yeah, top class, yeah, laptop yeah. class, yeah, which we're all a part of. Yeah, yeah. 
And how do you think about this larger question, Autumn? Um, just like about the future of like publication and well, artists. I guess the way the way to really crystallize the question is is to say, are you thinking about your own priorities and goals and and career in terms of like building audience and culture on the internet? Like that's where the power is going to be. That's where you're putting your effort. That's where you expect to gain readers and to gain you know recognition and 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 intellectual influence. Or do you not put that much stock in that and and you think in terms of like getting bigger and bigger publishing deals? Um, so like I've been in the publishing, I, I've witnessed like the publishing sphere for a while. Like when the Kindle came out, I think it was 2011 um, and everyone was like, this is the future of publishing. Like nobody's going to need a publisher ever again. And at the time you could get really rich, like because there wasn't like a lot of books coming out. Mm. Um, get rich by publishing on Amazon. Yeah, like by yourself. publishing yeah. at Kindle Book. Right. Um, but like the market became like extremely oversaturated because it's mm. like you don't remove books. Like there's just more and more added. Um, and so like what I've seen is like it is like the institution is still important. Like they have a huge machine. They have a ton of money. They have distribution, with physical distribution of the books, which is actually extremely important. Um, like, uh, my publisher, Clash Books, actually just recently got distribution, so, like, they're in bookstores, and, like, that, it has way more reach than just, like, a writer, like, on Twitter or Facebook. It's not to say that you can't sell books, because, like, I do that way, but um, if you don't, I've seen, like, the value of having a publisher, because, like, I don't want to spend all my time, like, marketing and, like, totally. making those connections, because there's a lot of that behind the scenes going on. Totally. By the way, try not to hit that. Oh, sorry. It might just sound bad on people's <laughs> ears. It's no big deal. Just making you aware of it. I'm okay. going to get sent to the gulag after this. So, and, go ahead. I, though, to add on to that, though, yeah. I will say, you know, I haven't, like, my chat book, I, I, I put out through, like, an indie British public publisher, like a tiny one. Mm-hmm. Um you should give them a shout out. Say their name. Oh, oh, it's a Selkut Station Press. Yeah, go. they've been yes. they've been amazing to work with, um, uh, and and have put out you know chapbooks through through mutuals as well. But nice. there there are also a lot of like online only uh, sort of like outsider presses mm-hmm. um, who are publishing, you know, people who didn't go through the MFA route. Um, or who who aren't sort of published with like um, other other you know yeah. like, I mean because Clash is a pretty major like indie publisher and it really depends on your yeah. goals too yeah and, and so so in terms of um, what you're saying in terms of um, like possibilities through like internet publishing th- like that is obviously also um, very viable and like vibrant I would say right so. and when you think about when you're writing things on the internet like on Twitter and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Uh, do you, do you have a self-consciousness of this being like, uh, one of many kind of serious platforms for your writing? Like, do you have a kind of, do you take it seriously in in that way? Mm -hmm. Or is it just like kind of messaging with your friends kind of thing? Or like, do you, do you, or do you not like see the internet as like an increasingly, um, like real and significant part of what it means to be a writer or, or do you not like buy that? So it's like for people who aren't on writer community or aren't in the writer Twitter, like the hashtag writing community thing is sort of like a joke among among certain people because it's like um, hashtag writing community. Twitter is very like homogenous as far as like the content being pushed out. Um, 
you know, like writer lists, it's just like names, like people following people, but there's not really like, as no, far, it's all, that's all like yeah. fake and corny. Yeah. Like yeah boomer, there's not like a lot of stuff. actual yeah. engagement. Mm-hmm. On. There's like boomer, like email chain letter lo- yeah. Like yeah. norms. It's like, that's not real. That's not real culture. It's never going to be right. Cause it's like, they don't have anything in common. Just like writers. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean I, like the people who actually follow you and like, like your meme, you know, like you guys met through memes, right? Like yes. that's like a powerful alliance, right? Yeah. That's like a meaningful, right. authentic yeah. mm-hmm. outsider type of exchange and alliance. Yeah. And there's like power, there's power in that, right? And mm-hmm. there's lots of people who do that. And there's lots of smart people with money who like reading edgy writers on the internet. And so, because I guess where I'm coming from with this is like, when I look at these things, <laughs> yeah. I'm not like a fiction writer and I'm not right, a poet. Right, right. So, yeah. so we play different games for yeah. sure. But when I look at all the stuff, like I'm increasingly of the conviction that like, if you want to be like a, a serious independent you know, provocative, interesting writer and have real power and influence and have a lot of readers. Yeah. You should just be like on Twitter almost full time going crazy, like cut, like going wild. Well, right? I mean, that's you. <laughs> yeah. like, you know, for sure. You're like, you're like tweeting like 17 times a day, you know? Yeah. Like, um, but, but I, I mean, first of all, I think we're, we're a little bit different in that way. Like, like, first of all, I'm not, you know, I'm actually like a pretty sort of a wholesome person. Um, you know, I kind of, I do use Twitter like more in a diaristic way, um, as opposed to, you know, hashtagging writing community. I guess it's hard with whatever. poetry to be fair. It's like, right. Not, it, you right. Know, you, could, um, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't write anything transgressive. I, I think, you know, your stuff is like a little more transgressive, um, you know, I, I write poems about like flowers, <laughs> like, you know, right. um, but yeah, I, I guess like, you know, sort of the edgiest thing about me is that I have, you know, you know, at, like p- mutuals with some <laughs> spicy takes, but like, I don't personally, like, um, s- like collect stray and do you, dogs, do, you, are, do you get anxious about like being canceled or, you know, well, you know, <laughs> I you, try what? to put up a layer of like, I wouldn't even say it's like real OPSEC, but like um, I just don't want my name to be indexed under Google in a way that like my sort of like, you know, corporate colleagues can just like Google me and immediately on the first page find a <laughs> link to my Twitter. You know, that that's like that's the only sort of layer that I care about. Um um so I, I'm not really like, that's super the main thing, it's just like what comes it. up first on Google search results for your name. I, I you don't want it to be like your edgy internet stuff. That's like all you really care about. I need to, you know, I need to put a roof over my own head. <laughs> of course, um, of course. I, that's yeah, why I'm curious how yeah, you think yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, yeah. And so it, it's it's sort of related. You know, I, I, I think of the... I think of the tweeting as being sort of related to the writing, but uh, but not really... Like, that's not the primary purpose of it. You know what I mean? Like, if I it connects you. me to really cool writers and, um, you know readers and that that's awesome but like take for example your latest chapbook yeah name and noun is the title which i showed the audience a minute ago of all the people who've bought it so far probably Mm -hmm. a large percentage come from twitter i'm guessing right yeah Mm -hmm. so you have to think about that right like that that must make you take a step back Mm -hmm. and think like you know to really build a successful writing career like in the over the next 10 years yeah like how much of your readers are going to come from twitter versus Mm -hmm. how much of them are going to come through like your institutional success as like a, a a you know, um, a, a graduate of, uh, you know, an MFA and yeah. Well, the thing is like, there's certainly like, there's, you know, people, people sort of say or joke that, you know, um, no one, no one really reads poetry, but, but in fact, in, in, in sort of recent years, there has been, um, a re blossoming of interest 
oh, yeah. um, in, in contemporary poetry. And some of it is driven by like Instagram poets like Ruby Carr and, and stuff like that. Um, but there, there, there actually, I think, are more people than ever maybe not ever, but like, you know, then, then, um, then in the past, like reading, reading contemporary poetry right now. And a lot of them are tapped into, um, through the institutional and then fellowship, um, you know, routes. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know what? I don't, I don't sort of care about those people. Like I, 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 you don't care about which the institutional fellowships or the TikTok poets. (laughs) Well, both, both. I mean, I think, like for me, the the only sort of um, validation that I really care about is, um, you know, sort of being read and enjoyed by people that I personally respect. Hmm. Um, and, and so for me, like it means a lot more to connect with someone like Autumn and have her say like, oh, that poem you published was really cool than to have like, you know, whatever folks folks who go to um you know like a like a mainstream bookstore and and sort of pick it up i Um, think this is the big difference between fiction writers and poets yeah Yeah. you would rather randos (laughs) approve (laughs) your stories well both but like i want like actual like yeah success but i think i think a lot of (laughs) you're ambitious actual success but no but like i i think a lot of poets like (laughs) (laughs) what what is actual success to you autumn (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry we can't all be rupee car well what is actual success to you autumn that's a great question she just punched me in the face (laughs) 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 but like i think we just like i'm already red now no No, i think i know what you're saying but do you mean i'm just curious do you think about it in terms of like total number of readers you want that number to be as big as possible do you think about it in terms of sales like you want your uh, income to be as high as possible from writing or like what what kind of metrics define success to you i mean one i want to write like things that i'm actually proud of which is like you know a barrier sometimes but like yeah, I don't have a specific number in mind, but I'm like, I want to be like 100 a, million. a well-known like writer. Right. So like, you're thinking in terms of just influence, readership, yeah. size, you know, size of the number of and people I just, who read it. And when I it. meet poets, they don't seem to like have that same measure of success. <laughs> well, it's kind of intrinsically more yeah. obscure, right? Yeah. Like exactly. the, the audience is intrinsically smaller. We have very low expectations for ourselves. Like. <laughs> well, like the way my... Um, publisher because my publisher actually does publish like a lot of poetry books but the way he said it to me was like the poetry world is very different from the prose world because they know that they're not gonna get anywhere so it's all about clout and what do you guys think about the Substack? <laughs> what do you think about the Substack phenomenon? There's now all of a sudden like a large number of writers who are making really good incomes by doing the the newsletter method. All but of are Substack. They, I, I How do you think about that? I mean, I feel like the only people that are really making money off Substack are like, um, you know, I mean, don't take this the wrong way, but like are like sort of culture war writers. No, I agree with that. And not not like creative writers. Well, I don't monetize that way, so I'm not yeah. offended by that. But, okay, um, okay. Because there's have, some truth yeah. to that, but yeah. But no, no. If you look at the data, there's like yeah. uh, you know, in the tens of thousands of people, probably I think mm-hmm. who are making full time living on Substack and doing a ton of things. You're you're right, right that the, yeah. some of the big names that drive a lot of subscriptions, it's because they have a kind of um, a somewhat politicized, mm-hmm. you know. Um, um, 
angle that gets people really riled up yeah sure there's definitely some of that but no if you look if you look across this across the board there's people doing pretty obscure stuff doing um all Mm -hmm. different kinds of things uh you you'd be surprised and whatever you might make of it maybe it's limited Mm -hmm. um it it is nonetheless a kind of significant thing to hit the scene when it comes to professional writing so i'm just curious um if you how you think about it like if you've yeah i don't know if there's like is there a poetry substack scene i don't know Mm -hmm. in the fiction world is that something that you toy with like oh maybe you should do a paid newsletter like how do you guys think about that i'm just curious because i actually do have a newsletter that has like a pretty substantial amount of followers but like the funnel into paid followers for me personally has been like extremely small um, well, I think you need to like go hard on that. Thing. Yeah, that's, like, that's the main another thing, thing you do, is like you know? I'm a little I think I'm a little too esoteric. Like I don't try I try not to just write like something really clickbaity. Um, and also like I'm not my my uh, it's not political like um, and I, I could probably go harder on it and like have the funnels and everything. I just don't because I'm not interested in it yeah you're not so you're not interested in that model and i guess it doesn't play super well with poetry unless there's like a poetry substack scene that i I'm mean i do yeah i do know of like a couple of poets who who have poetry substacks but I, and personally it's not i'm not super interested in it yeah. i um i have like sort of a pokemon collector mentality <laughs> with regards to publishing like um I, I like publishing through like um, online independent small magazines um, and trying to sort of just like go through those. That's awesome. Yeah. But how is that Pokemon? What, what does that mean? Um, just that, just in that, like, you know, I like to, I like to try to um, publish in different, in different types of like sort of weird online lit mags um Meaning shout out you're, to you're, you're thinking um, of them the publishers as yeah. like po- pokemon that you like to yeah. collect like small small little uh um, things you collect a like, little bit yeah. yeah like gotta collect them all like yeah yeah you were gonna give a shout out <laughs> no yeah like a shout out to expat lit misery tourism slash last estate young mag apocalypse confidential um you know there's there's a ton of these like sort of small magazines that are um um, publishing, um, a lot of times, um, people in our sort of Twitter sphere, um, who haven't gone through, um, formal MFA programs or anything like that, who are sort of just doing it sort of on the side. So, okay. And it's, it's interesting because like, as I have published in like professional, like, um, magazines and anthologies and i feel like i have more engagement and readers when i publish through like places like expat Mm -hmm. so i it is interesting because it's like yes i have like the prestige i have like this nice book and i got paid a lot of money but like i don't feel like anyone's reading it Mm -hmm. and that's like to me that's more important than like getting paid it's like i want people to engage with it and i and i really think those little like magazines like are actually getting engagement which is interesting mm-hmm. so what's the hottest shit coming out right now like writers or presses or individual books or just what's what are you most interested in right now that our audience might never have heard of that you just think is super cool what do you think of that because we already mentioned a yeah lot of yeah us. so i think yeah. the, the 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 for instance the the magazines that I, that i mentioned um any individual authors or books or essays or poems that you've read recently that uh are memorable that you want to shout out because i'm you know on the yeah, other yeah, like yeah. on the other like podcast mm-hmm. we're always looking for the underground shit we're always yeah looking for i guess i should chill my publisher um jackie by or no daryl sorry daryl by jackie s is a like an underground book that's um come out there's a horror writer named eric larocca who actually kind of got pushed into um like the top four publishing but he came out of the indie world um I'm trying to think of who else 
don't know. Uh, Chandler. <laughs> yeah, Chandler Morrison was another yeah. one. He was kind of like um, underground. Um, and then he actually got pushed up by TikTok, which was interesting to see. Like TikTok really loves like the more transgressive like fiction, like especially the stuff where they're like, don't read this. And then it gets like five million views. <laughs> and is that um, him posting to TikTok or his fans no, posting it's his to TikTok? Fans posting it. So his fans post it, then it blows up through TikTok. Yeah. And then what, like the big publishers come around like, oh, we got to poach this um, guy? He doesn't have a big publisher. He's published by a, a publisher called Deathheads Press. Well, one of his publishers, which is actually one that I've been talking to, to maybe like um, publish a book with them too. But they're, I would say like as far as horror presses that are, because horror has kind of been pushed out of the mainstream. Uh, as far as like horror presses, like Deathheads Press is probably like the one of the like actual legit ones, like putting out really cool stuff and i mean are authors or poets like using tiktok like themselves to like do poetry on tiktok or like do like writing on tiktok and like building massive audiences on tiktok like that i'm not aware i don't mess with i don't because like i've seen it i don't know like many of my friends that Mm -hmm. are doing it yeah um it's i don't i don't have a tiktok account i feel like i'm already sort of like uh, twitter yeah. is already enough to make you mentally ill yeah. like why yeah, would yeah. you stack tiktok on top well of that? i mean i i don't mess with tiktok at all but yeah. i have to admit like i've kind of been thinking about it a little bit right, more because yeah. i've noted i've seen i don't use it but i people have sent me links yeah. to people to some people there are people who do like philosophy and like theory on oh, tiktok a yeah. lot of it is like super corny but yeah. when you, see, you can build an audience so fast that you do kind of start to think like huh maybe i could do this in a way that's cool that i actually would like <laughs> and also have like a million followers in like six months maybe that would be fun maybe that's worth doing but I, that's why i was curious because you mentioned it yeah but uh it sounds like none of us are really plugged my, into it my publisher really wants me to post like more videos like on tiktok and twitter because they're like you kind of come off like a bitch <laughs> like well, un, like well, then you're just gonna come off yeah. as a bitch in the video <laughs> well no they're just like we un, like the people are like you can tell that you're joking like if you say it out loud i'm just like i i don't understand like that because i think everything i say is super like transparently a joke but i mean it's 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 twitter yeah yeah i don't know anything about poetry i have no taste i have absolutely i'm an absolutely Mm -hmm. vulgar pedestrian who doesn't know the first thing about poetry and i don't read it much so I, i can't analyze or dissect or criticize or appreciate any poetry um, but since we have a professional, serious, skilled say, poet yeah. in the room, okay. I have to ask you mm-hmm. for a, uh, an, an analysis of the poetry of Curtis Yarvin. Yeah. What do you, what do you make of it? So um, I think he has some very good poems, actually. Um, and um, he writes in sort of this obscure um format slash meter um that that not many people are using but which i think he's like trying to um revive uh which is i think four stressed syllables per line uh four stresses per line regardless of like overall syllable count per line um i might be botching that um and it and it's an interesting it's in it's a sort of interesting like musical um form um and He's writing in this, you know, he he has very specific tastes, I think. He he his his favorite poets are sort of like um these like I think again, maybe I'm botching this, but like um very intertextual, like historical reference laden, um, sort of thick um uh texts, um which isn't 
necessarily my own style. So that's that's the thing. It's like it's like kind of hard to. And what um, are some names that represent what you just described? Yeah. Um, that you well, would, that you would put him next to in the way you were just describing. I wouldn't necessarily put him next to next to anybody. To be honest, um, I think that's. It, it, that's really difficult to do. But the style that you were just, just describing, there must be other people who you, who would you would describe as similarly. So just who who would that be? I mean, I think I think a lot of a lot of um, people like sort of in our in our in our Twitter sphere are like, you know, if if they read poetry, they're they're reading stuff from like the time of like T. S. Eliot or or Pound, um, mm-hmm. and so forth. Um, but you know, that, that is not, that's not what most contemporary poetry is today. And so it's kind right. of interesting that he's like sort of, um, going back to that, but it's, it's not, it's not personally the way that I write, but, um, I respect it. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I, I threw that at you without, I didn't give yeah, you any yeah, yeah. opportunity to prep no, no, that. No, 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 so no. I was impressed with that answer. Yeah. I was kind of, I wasn't sure if you were going to have like a legit answer, but no. uh, that, that's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I have nothing to say cause I, I have no, like I said, I have no taste, but I was kind of curious cause uh, you know, I subscribe to a Substack and I, I receive things mm-hmm. like including the poems and I just don't read any poetry. So I'm just, I was curious, like if people like it or people think of it and what you could say from a kind of poetry analysis perspective. Yeah, I like <laughs> it. Yeah. I, I honestly, I'm like very, I, I try to find, um, I try to find something valuable that I can learn from every, every poet that I read. And what is so. hypnosis poetry? <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, 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 background on this, I, I'd sort of, uh, reference this, uh, you know, to Justin earlier, but, um, yeah, I actually the, don't know what this is. So, so okay. there was a session at vibe camp, which I don't, I don't know if I have to explain what that is, but, um, you know, there was, there was this, um, a bunch of like 400 people rented out this like children's camp, um, an hour outside of Austin. It's Twitter people. Yeah, to, to basically host like an in-person weekend of fun. Um, and there were all of these different sessions. Like there was like make your own tarot card, you know, with with paint or whatever. Um, and that and hypnosis poetry was, was one of these. Um, and so I went into that and I was like, well, you know, maybe this is going to shake something loose. Um, but basically the idea was that there was this person, there's this woman who... Um, try to hypnotize you and and um and afterwards you would write a poem um and, and that's almost like automatic writing yes, yeah it's like yeah yeah like andre Breton, sort of surrealist <laughs> and did you do writing. it um it didn't work for me it didn't work it did not work for me you're yeah. unhypnotizable i i don't know that i'm unhypnotizable it's just that this particular um session did not work for me um mostly because the way that she sort of um, described the creative process during the hypnosis session just did not resonate with me at all. Like she was like, all right, now close your eyes. And and now, you know, um, you can feel like just creative thoughts bubbling to the surface or whatever. And that is not, that's not sort of my personal phenomenology of um, creativity. <laughs> like I never have creative thoughts that bubble to the surface. Um, so I had no idea what she was talking about. And it was just not. Well, but aren't poetic you know? images that yeah. come to your mind in the form of poetic mm-hmm. words and phrases, isn't that create a creative idea bubbling to the surface? It's, it's interesting because there, there are a lot of different sort of metaphors for, for, mm inspiration i would say um like there's the muse or, or like um yeah. 
you know, duende, which is like sort of this darker force um, that comes from below um, as opposed to above, mm. like like the muse. But um, but bubbling is just not a word that I think <laughs> of when you know. Um, but it, it, so I don't know. It feels more like a lightning strike, like ah, an external, yeah. an epiphany, sort of a eureka, right? But but this like sort of slow, like close your eyes and let these things like ferment or bubble. That's just never been my experience. I, I also of writing. think yeah, you're like a very like technically like like it's obviously very technically crafted Mm -hmm. so i feel like it wouldn't necessarily yield anything for you to write closer to the subconscious like Mm -hmm. does that make any sense yeah yeah because i know like for me a lot of people are like you just have to have a beer and like loosen up and then you can write and i'm like i can't do that like at all like it it just like takes Mm -hmm. too much well i wouldn't i would not let any of those people hypnotize me (laughs) for for poetic purposes or any other purposes you know why and you know why because they're all a bunch of polyamorous perverts I'd be afraid. I would be afraid oh that they're going to hypnotize me to make me write poetry. <laughs> but and then before I know it, the next morning I wake up and I divorce my wife and I'm like, I, everything's gone terribly wrong. Yeah, like maybe nobody came out of that okay. Yeah, <laughs> hypnoti- hip- hypnosis. That, that stuff scares me. Yeah. You have to yeah, trust. Okay. You have to like really trust someone if you're going to let them hypnotize you. Yeah. And I don't know that I would want to be in like some hippie compound where um, you know right, people have right, all kinds right, of right, ulterior right, motives. Right, yeah. And believe in you know all kinds of crazy like new spiritual religions. Uh, I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But maybe that's why they weren't able to. It didn't they work on you. They weren't able to do that because you yeah, you know, I have um, I have my psychic defenses. I'm yeah. I'm too reactionary. For yeah, that. yeah. So well, let's talk a little more about you know how you how how we think about kind of the current like alternative cultures for writing. Like there's outsider lit and there's transgressive lit and there's you know, alt lit, there's like these different types of um, like pockets and, and deviations from, I guess, like the the mainline institutional. So like, w- you know, what are these? Are there differences between these things? What are they? Are there, is it interesting? Is this interesting to talk about? Or no, it's all just kind of like, uh, yeah, it's all one thing. Honestly, I think we're in a sort of weird, like cultural uh, stagnation, because I'm not sure, like, if I see much coming out lately that's, like... Like, some of the magazines we mentioned, like, yeah, there's, like, new stuff, but it's also sort of, like, the whole idea of, like, the lit underground has been repeated, like, throughout history, and, like, the themes kind of keep being repeated. Um, So, like, as far as, like, a culture that's, like, actually doing something that we've never seen before, am I just, like, totally insulting everybody I know? I don't know, but, like... I know, I'm like... Yeah. No, there are some really good writers, but like as far as like a scene, like I'm not sure if like just one scene is like particularly like doing something innovative. So yeah, or I maybe mean, you disagree with that. I don't know. Well, okay. So so just to sort of tease out those terms that that Justin mentioned, right? Like I think I think outlet, and this is something that you've talked about with um, you know default friend before. Um, that was like a very specific time, sort of in history, which I think ended in, in about 2018 or yeah. so, um, and that like referred to like a very specific coterie of writers, some of whom are active, some of whom are not. Um, I, I would say that outsider lit is sort of like a larger umbrella, more general term for people that didn't go through, um, you know, MFA programs and um, institutional venues. Um, and then and then as for transgressive lit, that's yet like a different sort of shade. I, I think like, for instance, like you write, I would say transgressive lit. I do not write transgressive lit. 
Well, uh, how do you like define transgressive? So, so transgressive, I think oftentimes, you know, it, it addresses like topics that are just a little bit more like grotesque, whether that's like body horror, um, oftentimes like, you know, addiction issues, like just things that are like a little bit, bit more gritty. Um, and, and so I think your work, you know, is sort of transgressive in that way, but I, but it's also weird because the term has obviously been diluted. Yeah. Um, that's like one of my like hot takes, I guess, is that a lot of transgressive stuff just like enforces the status quo. Like it, but it it masquerades as like culturally like alternative or punk. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, so who else? Just who else do you guys fuck with on the internet? Like, who's in your circles? Like, how how do you def- how do you think about your own circle? Like, you know, um, what connects you guys, and and who are your other mutuals, um, or is it not so self conscious like that? I would say it's not self conscious yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, but like you guys, you know, like the delicious tacos guy and that kind of like is that is there like a would, could you put a label on the, this little like subgraph in yeah. the in the social network? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I guess that would fall sort of under like outsider lit. Maybe. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess I wouldn't be um, sure how to. He's sort of doing his own thing. Yeah, I mean, Does there he, are there are obviously like mad books, people. Right? I think so. I mean, but there there yeah, there are definitely people who are just sort of like like for instance, he's self published and he's bigger than many yeah, indie re- publishers. Right. So there would be no advantage for him to go through a publisher. Right. Um, Cause he has a much larger like he does, audience. He does like real numbers, right? Like his books um, do real numbers, right? I mean, do you, I don't know, but yeah, yeah I'm not, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I look, I look yeah, around, I snoop right. around all this kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have my own ways of like measuring things and like, right. it's not too hard. Yeah, if, you, right. if you look closely and you kind of compare things, I think he's doing real numbers mm-hmm. and you know, there's more and more people like him, right? There's like bronze age pervert there. That book did real numbers. Um, so there's a lot of like truly outsider writers mm-hmm. who come out of nowhere and just through like a very forceful, edgy kind of like internet, you know, style and brand are able to like get to real numbers and real readers and, and yeah. make real money. Um, so like, how do you think about that? And these, some of these like examples, how do you place them yeah. or locate them or understand them in relation to something like alt lit or, to like other, you know, like I, I'm just curious yeah. like, if we can say anything about this or make any sense about this. So I, I think that the writers that you're referencing, right, they're like the ultra rare exception yeah. where they're so like terminally online and maybe even like mentally <laughs> ill that they're able to sort of like just completely like put up this persona and like, uh, and, you know, sort of make numbers that way. I, I think most people, honestly, are not capable of that. Um, Why? Because you have to, like, go so... You have to go all in on it I think you have hard. to go all in on it. And I think that, um, you know, for instance, I'm just, like, not capable of... Um, of sort of keeping, keeping, keeping the mask on that way. <laughs> but, um, I mean, I don't know. Like, what do you think? That's a great question. Yeah, it is a really I, good I have question. seen... There is a danger in playing with that sphere, like in pretending to be a character, yeah. um, because all knowledge is like transformative in the sense that like everything you touch touches you. And I've seen these people on Twitter being like, "I'm going to play a character," and then eventually over the years, like the character gets like more bombastic and crazier and like mm. out of touch, um, <laughs> and they don't know like how to pivot or really like do anything new because the character is fake. So it's like they can't 
they sort of like become like trapped in their own like design in a way. Um, mm. I, and I think that actually happens to like actual like uh, writers like Philip K. Dick and stuff like that, where they sort of like start to see reality in the way that like they write their books. Like it's actually like a, I think it is actually sort of like metaphysical like danger in some way. Yeah. I mean, you call forth like you put together this like egregore or like tulpa or whatever, right? Yeah. To sort of use like, you know, post-rationalist terms. But like you, you put together these like, you essentially conjure these like beans <laughs> that are a distortion of your own personality. Um, and that, and then you can't sort of control them ultimately uh, mm-hmm. and you are controlled by them ultimately. Um, which is why I think also I'm not, you know, I'm not, I think neither, I mean, neither of us are, are really anonymous. I mean, it forces you to reconcile um, these parts of yourself. And I, and I think that's healthy, honestly. I think, um, Right. You know, I, I respect people that are not doing that, but um, I mean, I it's just not a choice that yeah. I would make. Yeah, I like, completely agree with that personally. Yeah. Everyone calls me a face fag because of that, yeah. but I agree. I think I, to me personally, I think the advantages outweigh the disadvantages of, yeah. of writing under your own name. But I also do think I talk about this a lot because a lot of people in my community are always asking about this and thinking about this. And I just I think it's dependent on the personality, basically. Mm-hmm. I do think that certain people are very paralyzed by doing things under their own name and they get, they're too nervous. They're, it feels mm-hmm. like they're, they're just blocked and they can't really conduct a consistent, ambitious, like writing regiment under their own name. And I think if you're the type of person who your personalities makes you blocked or afraid, mm-hmm. then sometimes a pseudonym can be a, a liberating device that, that for you can be worth it. Um, but for me, for my type of personality, um, I like exactly what you described the, mm-hmm. the kind of realistic constraints the the forcing function mm-hmm. to make myself whole and authentic and mm-hmm. and consistent over time because mm-hmm. um, that's what you were talking about basically if you're if you go all in on a pseudonym mm-hmm. there's really no limit to your to your insanity yeah. right like I, you're you're yeah. cultivating this like insanity you're unleashing this egregore mm-hmm. but you can't stop it once you do right so you either go mad or you quit because you mm-hmm. can't sustain that right so it's like writing under your own name it's like you have to actually say what you think and you have to stay realistic and you have to actually keep yourself whole in a way that is sustainable because you have to because it's your life you know yeah though though to play devil's advocate like sort of against yeah. our point <laughs> um i think a lot of these people have like rather lucrative like income streams or like like good jobs like you know i'm in a graduate program like you know if if I get kicked out of it, I can probably like triple my income by just getting like a normal job. <laughs> um, so, so it's, it's not, you know, like, like just like thinking like economically, like it makes sense that some people would obviously want to yeah, yeah. sort of shade themselves from yeah. that kind of And like for people yeah. who aren't terminally online, right. the like, yeah. the, okay, like just the Anon versus like the face accounts is like a huge, like contentious issue. Right. And obviously I'm on the side of like the face account. I understand all the reasons for being Anon. <laughs> Why? <laughs> no, it's just funny. I just <laughs> no, because I I think like if you can't say something and stand behind it, then you probably shouldn't be saying it. And also like if you're gonna make an anon account because you're scared, like I've had this interaction with anon accounts. They're like, even though I'm anon, I'm still too afraid to say what I want to say. And it's like it's because you're a coward. And like because just because <laughs> yeah. you make just because you yeah. make an anon account like doesn't like isn't gonna cure you. So like that's why I'm very like. I'm not necessarily yeah, don't, try, don't be a coward. Yeah, I'm not necessarily against a non-account, no. but I think a lot of times they're used for the wrong reasons. I hear you. I hear you. But by the way, I forgot to ask. I totally forgot to ask. What was the meme you wrote that won your friendship <laughs> with Steph? 
You can explain um, it. I can't explain it. It's so weird. It's so stupid. Well, <laughs> it's because one of my friends at the time posted a thing that he said, like, basically, like, real men only drink small coffees. <laughs> like, oh, like only ordering the small, co- like, the small size at Starbucks or, or whatever. Um, and I basically... Um, what did I say? No, it was actually my husband who said the only reason that you drink small coffee is because you have tiny hands okay. <laughs> and because it doesn't look aesthetically well with a large coffee cup. Um, and then it became this whole thing because I posted a picture of Hitler with a small coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, and I said, this is the kind of man that drinks small coffee. And it just like exploded after that. There were like whole factions like there were like spaces about like large versus small coffee. Um, I had people like come up to me like at parties, like wanting to argue about it. Like it was just <laughs> ridiculous. That's I, funny. And it was like the it's just the most it was just fun because like you could be creative, but like it didn't matter at all. Like it was obviously it was obviously an argument that didn't mean anything. So a quick note to my editor, Ben, I think what we need for the thumbnail for this podcast, it needs to be, <laughs> it needs to be a photo of Hitler holding like a Starbucks cup or something, <laughs> something like that. No, but so I, I, I DM'd Autumn cause, um, she, you know, I forget, I forget what, I, I don't know. I just, I, I DM a lot of people actually. That's, that's like the sort of shadow. Yeah. Like my, my sort of shadow self. Um, but I, I DM'd Autumn and I was like, um, hey, I, I really like your small versus large coffee meme. <laughs> I was like, you want to you want to get a coffee sometime? And, and, and she was like, yeah, like. <laughs> and did you get large coffee cups or small coffee cups? Actually, I think we got like margaritas, but yeah, we went to the Chili's because we went to it. We it was another meme. The Chili's on Forty Fifth and Lamar is like an Austin specific meme because yeah. every time someone recommends like a, a, re- a restaurant or like ask for a restaurant yeah. recommendation, they're like, you got to go. The chilies on 45th and Lamar for the queso and the frosty margs. So it's like <laughs> interesting. So Autumn, then what what does it mean when someone brings their own mug to a podcast interview? Um, <laughs> what is that, what does that mean? I don't know. I haven't really like dissected that yet. So I haven't even been to a I, Bucky's. I yet. brought my Bucky's mug. I've only been once, but it was like I felt like I truly felt like a Disney adult when I was in Bucky's. Like they have a really? mascot. Is that and, good? Yeah. They have a mascot in a beaver costume that you can like hug and take photos. Yeah. With. If you've never been to a Bucky's, um, like you just you don't understand. So this is my <laughs> my go. my Let's most go. my most reactionary take is that I'm a Bucky's nationalist. Okay. Um, and it doesn't matter what your haplogroup group is, you can be a Bucky's nationalist. <laughs> Um, there should be an entire sort of like nation formed around this friendly beaver. So you want them to like succeed from the union, declare their yeah. own, like forget like about Republic. Texas. Forget about Texas succeeding. It's just yeah. like Bucky's. Okay. They probably could succeeding. with all their like branded items. Yeah, they have a lot of branded items. Yeah, that I just love. Every time I go, I'm like, oh my god, should I get a Bucky's bathing <laughs> suit? Should I get a Bucky's like? throw pillow i don't know awesome i love it i'm bucky pilled i gotta go and check it out i i I have nothing to add to this unfortunately maybe we could we could go together and we'll we'll shoot like a a vlog or something at bucky's um tell me about the passage prize so autumn you (laughs) tell me tell me the story well it was steph's fault is generally how most of my stories start these days um no because she was like it would be interesting for us to so like the passage prize is sort of like this would you say like a right wing 
um, fiction prize. Uh, well, multiple categories. There was like fiction, poetry, yeah, yeah. creative nonfiction, and visual art. Yeah. Um, because like the whole premise of it was basically like people say right wing people can't do like can't create art. So let's prove them wrong. Um, and that remains to be seen. But like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so she was like wouldn't it be funny if we wrote under like pseudonyms and wrote this like conservative like these conservative pieces um so that's what we did i don't even think mine was super political but i think like the it was a very like family oriented like theme um it was an anti-porn it was an anti-porn fiction story and i isn't part of the subplot here also that a lot of these guys are generally anti they're somewhat misogynist somewhat Right. Yeah. Yes. I, I mean, I think and so. You're kind of subvert. You're, you're kind of seeing if you could sneak under the radar as as a woman. So, so I mean, I think for for me, like the the sort of interest there was like I am against didacticism in the arts. Period. I don't I don't sort of care, you know, which sort of angle you're coming at it. I I hate like I hate didacticism in the arts. Um, and and so when this uh, contest opened up, which I, I okay, honestly, I, I I respect it. I think it's great. Like, I think if you see something happening, you know, culturally that that doesn't vibe with you, and and you want to like sort of do something else and create an alternative, like that is wonderful. Like that's why we're here right now. So so I think that's wonderful, frankly. But um, but I, I did think that it would be kind of funny if um if you know like especially you like you know entered. Um, entered, you know, at, you know, as a woman and and so forth. Um, but the pseudonym was like non-gendered or it was. A, male. I had a male pseudonym, right? Which I can't remember what it was. It was some very generic male name, and I tried to write from the perspective of a man, like, and and sort of like change my style and everything. And you made it far in the process, right? Uh, yeah, I was a finalist. And how how did it work? How, what was the selection process? Was there like one level or how? Like they just brought it down to a short list or what? Yeah, it, there was only one. There was one short list, and then they picked like maybe I think it was three winners. Um, and how and then, many were on the short list? I don't remember. Okay, um, but you made it to the short list. Yeah, they, and they had a lot of submissions, right? Like in the thousands, was it or? At least five hundred, I think. At least I think in it, for fiction, fiction it was like four hundred or something. Yeah. Like okay, that. so you made it yeah. to the short list. Yeah. Um, and but you were not one of the three winners. No. And I have speculations as to why. Oh, all right, hit me. What what are they? I'm not sure I can say. Oh, come on, speculate. <laughs> I, I think I mean on honestly, like you know, well, this kind of goes to my point, which is like you know, if you're sort of looking for specific metaphysics in um, in 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 your art, you know, I think that's. I don't. I don't know. I mean, that's it's lame. It's, I don't just think say it. it. It's I lame. Don't say it. Yeah, I think like the conservatism, conservatism in that spirit Twitter is very different from like the actual like conservatives that I know like in real life that are like my family like in like the Midwest. So like when I wrote my story, it was very like traditionally conservative. I think the sort of reactionary like uh, conservatism of Twitter is very different. And from what I could see, the people that won. Um, I did not fit that politically. And were you trying to produce good art or were you just trying to like um, pass their Turing test and like, um, yeah, 
both because like I it, it was I had that idea for a long time and I wanted to write it and I was like this fits um I find it very generally I find it very distasteful to write something with an ideological goal in mind I think the point of a good story is to ask a question and if you already like know the answer then like it shouldn't be a story so are you saying that you feel like had you had you grinded and axe a little bit more in a calculated way you might have been able to win and you didn't win because you yeah. you didn't grind the axe hard enough i mean that i don't want to like say that because it might come off as a little narcissistic um, but it's possible. No, but that's just your interpretation of, of how it, things were selected. It's, yeah. it's, I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think it was politically like aligned correctly to what they wanted. Interesting. But, but I will say that, you know, it was, um, like, like having read the story, I, I want to hype it a little bit because it's very good. Mm. Um, that this, the story is titled 3000 years of porn. And it's about a man who's like essentially trapped in a porn simulator and the sort of deleterious effects of that. Um, it was very good. Like when I read it, I was like, I would never in a thousand years have guessed that a woman wrote this. Like it, 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 the mm. protagonist was a man. It came through. The male voice was very strong. Um, and obviously it had an, you know, it had like, you know, an anti, you know, an anti sort of like sexual depravity message. Um, <laughs> Which is totally not what real life Now, is. do you no. think that if, yeah, you, if but... you submitted that under a female name, would you have had no chance, do you feel? It was judged anonymously. But we so, didn't know that. So, yeah. No, 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 I think, I think, I think they did say that from the start. Oh, but, really? But, but it's just like, you know, but you know, you never know. You yeah, never people really can know, say so, that so, and they still... Yeah. Okay, no, I was just curious because before, I mean, when I used the word, I described it to some of those guys as misogynist. I didn't actually even mean that as like an insult or like Mm -hmm. I didn't mean to slur them or something like that. I just mean like I think technically like a lot like some of those guys are actual misogynists in a way that they might even identify with. I mean, yeah, so I didn't mean to I'm not like canceling anyone or like I'm not like (laughs) I'm not like virtue signaling or something like I'm not not trying to morally differentiate myself from from them or something. Yeah. like zero HP Lovecraft, for instance, like who's been on this podcast and who whose work I, I find interesting. I find his 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 um I find his whole style and body of work and his project to be kind of interesting and fascinating and and quite mm-hmm. impressive in terms of like the audience and the brand he's built. I find I find him impressive and interesting guy um and, and a skilled a skilled writer. Um, you know, I, I I would call him a misogynist. I think I'm guessing he would almost identify with that. Like I. I, I don't think it's like a slur or a pejorative I, I to call him that. Like, I don't I think, think it's he's... a slur. I mean, I think um, I think if you're like sort of generally like um, an elitist, like sort of misanthrope, you, you have to be misogynist and you also have to be sort of like misandrist as well. Yeah. You know, right. just because you're sort of, you know, you're sort good of. Point. Just, it's so. a good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Steph, I want to pick your brain a little bit more about how you managed to do this tight rope walk. Of mm. like being in the institutions, yeah, and also like you know b- having all these mutuals who who are pretty edgy, you know, like you yourself are not particularly, right. you know, I'm not. you don't like write crazy stuff on the internet. No, I do not. Um, but you seem quite yeah. comfortable, you know, um, talking with, interacting with, maybe even befriending. Like I'm not looking at you, yeah, yeah, Autumn. Yeah. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not yeah. I'm, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you you seem you you're yeah, much you are much much right, more comfortable right, right. Yeah. naturally yeah. just interacting with and socializing with and just being proximate to, yeah. Um, a lot of people who I'm sure like people you go to school with would like really like, you know, yeah. be, ha- have some, uh, you know, concern about. So like, how do you manage mm-hmm. that mentally? How are you able to do that? Because the reason I ask is because right. I get a lot of emails from people who are in grad school oh, or they're thinking about going to grad school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I get a lot of emails to the effect of like, 
I'm in grad school or I'm thinking about going to grad school, but I feel very oppressed and constrained and I'm, okay. I, I, I'm always yeah. walking on eggshells and I want to get more involved in the alternative stuff and I want to think right. more freely and publish right. more freely. Right. And I'm a closet, you know, BAP lover and these, I get a lot of emails <laughs> like this kind of thing. Closet and and people really struggle. People really struggle <laughs> Sorry, to, yeah. people really struggle mm-hmm. to kind of exercise yeah, yeah, yeah. their intellectual freedom and, right. and pursue whatever they're fascinated by mm-hmm. um, and also maintain some kind of institutional track but you seem, of all the people I know, you seem to do it quite naturally and pretty well. Um, so I'm just yeah. curious, like, if you have heuristics, sure, any sure, frameworks, sure. or like how you think about it. I do have heuristics, actually. So um, I think one one thing that sort of lets me do it is like um, one, I'm I'm a bit older than most of my classmates, right? I think a lot of them went either straight from undergrad to grad school or maybe just took a couple years off in between. So they're actually quite young. You're like my wife's age, like you're around 30, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, in, I'm in my 30s. Like, um, and so to some, to some extent, it's like, you know, let the kids have fun. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I don't hold it against, like I said, I was, you know, I was just, I was a normie lib up until COVID, basically. <laughs> and, and so I sort of don't hold... Uh, people sort of like ideological, you know, um, contingent, whatever, like stances um, against them, you know, at any phase of their life. Um, And then I think that's one part of it. The other part of it is like, you know, obviously I I don't, I don't want to pursue, I don't want to stay in academia or anything like that. So that's just a huge sort of um, weight off my shoulders. Oh, so you have no goals in that I I don't want to. I had an entire career before I started my MFA and I don't particularly want to like try to pursue a tenure track job in like Nebraska or something. So So that takes a lot of weight off your shoulders. Right, exactly. I don't have any aspirations in that respect. Um, But then the other thing I think is like, you know, this whole idea, like I think of, I think of grad school. I mean, these people are my colleagues, right? And, and they're, and, and, and we're sort of helping each other to, to become better writers. Um, and the, this whole idea of like bring your authentic self to work is like a total sort of like PMC psyop, right? Okay. Like, like up until what, I don't know, like 2012 or something like why would you ever bring your whole authentic <laughs> self to work? Like you, you just should not do that. You absolutely should not do that. You should have a very strict defined boundary. Like nobody should uh, like know what your identity is. Um, you know, like I, I, I don't know. I, I really disagree with it. I think it's like an encroachment of professionalism into like, you know, your personal life and so forth. And, and so I maintain those boundaries. Like it's not, I don't try to be my like authentic self, whatever the hell that means. Um, right. So when you right. when you think about your grad school work and when you go to classes right. and you go to different sessions, that's your just your job and you you mm-hmm. treat it professionally, but you don't have any expectations or hopes of like being your true self or something like that. You just do the work and you, you yeah. treat it professionally and you leave it you leave it in the classroom kind of. Um, yeah, I would say that generally is my approach. I mean, I, I yeah, like first of all, I don't necessarily know or believe in quote unquote, like an authentic or true self anyways. But, um, but to the extent that that exists, I think that you probably should not be like aspiring towards manifesting that at all times in like all contexts. Yeah. So if once you sort of like leave that behind, once you sort of leave that like, uh, weird, distorted, you know, liberal paradigm behind, it's fine. But a lot of people like, really struggle. Like if they're in a grad program, they yeah. str- they feel like they can't even say the words 
zero HP Lovecraft on their Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people really yeah. feel like that. That, right. that if, if they even show any glimmer that they pay attention to this stuff, yeah. they feel like they're going to get kicked out of their grad school or everyone's mm-hmm. going to hate them or they're, yeah. you know, so I, you explain part of it by saying that you just don't have any aspirations to right. succeed in an mm-hmm. academic track. Yeah. So that takes a lot of weight off. Right. Um, but are there other, like, are there, are there things you remind yourself or angles or ways you look at it that like, give you that like extra bit of comfort or confidence or courage to just like fuck with what you fuck with and not worry yeah. about it. Is there anything else that you right. could like give to people who maybe like mm-hmm. are struggling with it? Yeah. So I think like the, the extra bit of that is like, you know, worst case scenario, you know, I leave my program and I triple my income by getting a normal <laughs> job. Like seriously, that is the worst case scenario. Like, you know, like right. um, it's not like I, I'm sort of there for the right reasons. Like like you said, I I'm 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 trying to produce the best writing that I can. And so I'm I'm there to sort of like learn from um really really like sort of brilliant writers and um and take away techniques and practices. Um and that's it. That's okay. it. The that other the sort yeah. of adjacent stuff like So basically what you're saying you know, what you're saying to consolidate this for people is it's like all you really care about is the writing and the work itself. Yes. So you're there to absorb mm-hmm. and to take away yeah. as much as you can. Right. But you don't actually need or want anything from those people. You're mm-hmm. not looking for their approval. They're, you're mm-hmm. not looking for them to get you a career. You're not trying to particular. You don't particularly care about impressing people. It seems like. Mm-hmm. So like you you have a very transactional kind of attitude towards it, where like you're there Rough. to transactional. Oh well, yeah, I just yeah, mean yeah. like it's very it's <laughs> right. very yeah. you have a limited yeah, yeah, yeah. and narrow sense of what right. you're doing there, mm-hmm. and it's mostly just to get knowledge and skills and and. it's like a unilateral thing where like you're you know yeah you're not hoping or needing them to Mm -hmm. approve you in any way and so because you have that mental model where you don't really need their approval or their social you know Mm -hmm. you don't you're not looking for the social benefits you're not looking to like ingratiate yourself in certain like power circles since you've completely let go of all of that and all you really care about is writing and improving Mm -hmm. your writing and learning from the people there that are really smart that you respect yeah it's just like if you got kicked out or something or like everyone suddenly hated you for some absurd reason, mm-hmm. like you wouldn't care that much because you got a lot of time to work on your writing. You improved your writing. You learned from people and you would just like walk away and make more money and do something else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, yeah, that's part of it. Um, you know, I saw this I saw this meme the other day that I think like perfectly encapsulated sort of my stance on this, which is like, you know, I'm at the old world dying, the new world struggling to be born. I'm at the combination old world dying, new world (laughs) struggling to be born. Um, And and truly, like, that's what it is right now. I mean, there are, like, all these alternatives, like, springing up right now to, um, you know, to to sort of institutional avenues, like, such, you know, such as yourself, as you know, like, um, indie thinkers and so forth. And and so um, it's, it, it is what it is. Like, I think that everyone should be trying to, um, just take what they can from different, different things, different avenues. Um, but yeah, there's no, there's no sort of right answer here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right on. Well, I, I, it's something I, I really appreciate about you and respect about you mm-hmm. that you seem to do this really just naturally and smoothly in a way that a lot of people actually find, find tough. So in a way, like you're actually, I think an interesting little role model in a way for like certain poets and writers out there mm-hmm. who like, cause I know for a fact, a lot of people struggle with this mm-hmm. and you're someone I can point to as like, you know, here's a good example of like having a professional institutional track and getting what you can from mm-hmm. that as much as, as far as you want to go in that, right. but also being free and like yeah. fucking with what you fuck 
talk with and making the friends you want to make and exploring the different underground scenes that you want to, however mm-hmm. transgressive or provocative they might seem, even if they're going to upset your peers or your professor's not going to like them, you're, you do a really good job of like doing what you want and also maintaining that institutional track. Yeah. So I appreciate that about you. And Autumn, something I wanted to ask you also as we kind of begin to wrap this up is you wrote an interesting essay about um, mistakes you've made as a writer. So I, I, I'm curious to ask you, you know, what, what was the, uh, the biggest mistake you made as a writer or have made as a writer? Oh, I wasn't prepared for this. I have to think, and I don't even remember what I wrote in that. You don't have to remember what you said, but thinking about it now, fresh, you know, what, what would it be if you had to think of, if you had to think um, about it? I think one of the issues I had was like, maybe that, that helps being a bit older and having like a fully developed prefrontal cortex. And that <laughs> relates to her is like having like a crystallized goals. Hmm. Um, and like, and, part of that will help you navigate those murky waters of like, well, I really like bat, but I feel like I can't say anything. And like, I want to be in academia, but I want to be my free self. Like that's a lot of that is sort of like the confusion of like youth and not having like a proper pathway. Mm. Um, and it's like one of the reasons like I dropped out of academia cause I'm like being, being like this, this writer who can sort of write what I want is more important to me than like necessarily like academic success. And it's like once you understand like what you want and what your goal is, like it's a lot easier to decide like, OK, like here I can like drop my drop my like true self or whatever that is. And here like I can be like more free. But like as long as I have like the goal in mind, mm. um, like it's a lot easier to move through those like murky waters. That makes a lot of sense. So you're saying like decide what your game plan is, like decide what game you're playing and be clear yeah. about that with yourself and commit to that. And then like these other questions will kind of fall in line based on what your game plan is. But if you don't really have a clear game plan and you don't really commit to what your strategy and your approach is going to be, then you're just going to be kind of confused and kind of half-assing it on on all sides. Yeah. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, because if you want to be the kind of person that's like, I just want to talk about BAP and Zero HP Lovecraft <laughs> and be or whatever, you know, yeah, yeah. like and be part of that sphere. Um, and it's like, yeah, like what you say, like you can commit like fully to that and right. like you can like express yourself like and and work on your art in the way that like you need to yeah totally right so tell me about your poem that was also a dating advert what was the poem yeah what was the idea behind it yeah um yeah so actually i i tried to write it in um in in curtis Yarvin's meter um i was experimenting ah. with it with the with the four stresses per line um i i don't know that i necessarily sort of hit it exactly but um yeah, I mean, sort of, you know, in the vein of just wanting to to reject um, this sort of like dating app economy, um, I decided to put out a poem through an indie magazine, Apocalypse Confidential, um, that w- that would also sort of like serve as a dating ad, uh, personal ad. Um, as as opposed to, you know, making a fucking, you know, profile on whatever on whatever app. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I did that. I don't know. And how did it go? (laughs) How many, how many, uh, you know, messages did you get from it? Um, I got a few, I got a few sort of like sweet, strange messages, (laughs) um, as these things tend to go. I wouldn't necessarily recommend it as like a strategy to the general populace. Why not? Um, it worked for Curtis Yarvin. 
He got married. He got married. (laughs) But also, I think it works if you're a poet. It works if you're a poet. Yeah. Like, it was, it was, like, just esoteric and target enough that, like, your, like, dating audience, like, would find it, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Okay, but but you got some good responses, and have you gone on any dates yet? I have not gone on any dates. Why not? So, we'll just see, we'll just sort of see how that shakes out. Well, why not? If you, um, people might start to worry that I was just a gag and you're not actually going to follow through on any of the dates. You got to yeah. follow through on at least some of the dates or it's never going to work again. If you try again, they're going to call They're going to say you're the That's girl who cried wolf, you know? Yeah. I mean, to some extent, though, like all writers are, 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 the, are the girl or boy who cried wolf. Right. Because like, um, I mean, I, I do sort of stand by this, but like the speaker of your poems or the protagonist of your story is not necessarily you per se. So, mm, right. um, so, so, so it's kind of a weird, it's, it's kind of a weird way to put yourself out there because you're, you're sort of putting out like, um, you know, a facet of yourself that isn't necessarily the whole story. Well, but, I know for a fact yeah. that a lot of very handsome, wholesome, mm-hmm. smart young chaps listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's probably a couple out there who are watching this and they're kind of thinking like, you know, I might take stuff out on a date. I don't know. Uh, that. you know, what, do you, what, do you, what are you looking for? Um, <laughs> Oh my god! I actually did not prepare. I don't know. I I don't know. Um, just um, I'm putting you on the spot. You no, don't have to have an answer. No, 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 no. Someone who doesn't think my poems suck. Like that would be cool. <laughs> I don't know. That's a good. That's a good criteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That, yeah. Well, that's cool that it worked. This seems to be like an increasingly popular method. I mean, Curtis Yarvin did it with great effect. You're doing it. You said you got a, a bunch of messages. So I mean it. It does kind of make sense. You said that you think it would not apply to the general public. I kind of think it would in a way. It's like if you're creative enough and smart enough and interesting enough to build an audience writing, then your chances of finding someone good through Mm -hmm. your writing is way higher than your chances of finding someone good on like Tinder or OkCupid, right? So it's like Mm -hmm. maybe it's not good for every person. You have to have an audience. But if you have any audience at all and you're a creative person with words and people follow you for words that you produce – probably does generalize that like this is one of your best bets to find a to find a to find a mate is to i mean time you know. will tell yeah i mean it's, it's hard to say it's early <laughs> well you got to go on some yeah. dates with them to know yeah yeah yeah, you know? yeah. So, yeah. um go on, hopefully next time you come on the podcast you'll have at least uh you know given some of these guys an audition at least you know and then we'll we'll, we'll hear back on you know if any of yeah any yeah of them pan out. we need yeah. an update podcast yeah at yeah. least in a couple months totally let's do it mm-hmm. um <laughs> curious to know like who maybe who is your favorite your single favorite writer and specifically what you know what did you learn from them or or what 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 have you taken from from them just kind of name name one person or one one work perhaps that um you know is most special to you that that you took something from and what was that thing you took from it Autumn's my favorite writer, and um, I really, I really like her story. An expat lit um, swan necks like swords. Wow. Um, yeah. What really did you take story. from it? Um, I took from it that I should damn her <laughs> <laughs> and, and be like, "Hey." Cool. And Autumn. Yeah. Um, my favorite. My favorite <laughs> actually. I can't say a poet's my favorite writer. Yeah, Come of on. course. <laughs> but she is one of my favorite poets. I will say that. Mm-hmm. Like, as far as, like, technical level, like, craft, like, uh, I don't know. Like, the the playfulness. There's not really anyone else who writes like her, in my opinion. Um, nice. But if you want, like, a... Like a, a, real a, answer. a real answer. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite writer is Philip K. Dick. Okay. Um, uh, yeah, the sci-fi for writer. Sure. And um, what did you learn from him? Um, he's like the most humanistic sci-fi writer that I know. And that like, 
Um, I, 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 the problem with like the sort of like more autistic, like technically oriented, like golden sci-fi is that it's more focused on the tech. Um, and like, as someone who's more interested in humans, I really like the way he approaches sci-fi and the way that he shows how it affects like everything in culture. Um, so I think he's like probably one of the greatest like sci-fi people to come out of that generation. Cool. Right on. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put links to your books and your works and websites and all that in the show notes. So anyone watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast can easily find more about both of you uh, by going to the links underneath the, you know, the, the show. And I mostly just want to thank you for coming out because this was, this was fun and chill. I appreciate this very, very on brand for, for the podcast. So (laughs) I appreciate having you both here. And, and finally, Steph, I believe that you have a poem that you would like to read for us. Um, yeah, I can, I can read a poem. I would love that. Um, I decided I, I know a lot of your audience, um, Justin, like works, works in tech. And um, one of the episodes that I listened to to prepare for this pod was um, your your episode with Nick Land. Um, and so I believe that this poem might sort of appeal to the types of people that um, that are interested in those topics. Um, Please. So this poem is titled After the Singularity, the programmer goes for a walk. A hedge of hawthorn, scythed by moonlight. Mute fronds palm the sky like penitents. A yellow plastic bat in the white snow. I see the glow of his cheek, the boy who threw the bat at his feet and flew. Streetlights gild my way. Sentinel swans swerve toward asphalt chemical and salt dashed for the last of us. I totter like a doe before the pond. Yes, I know the will to die. Childhood's end and men are mines. So I stand and fold my hands. That was amazing. Wow. That was really cool. I'm so touched that you are sharing original poetry on my podcast. I'm flattered. It means a lot to me. And I'm sure I think my audience will really like that. So that's so nice, Steph. Thank you. Really appreciate that. All right. I think that's a wrap then now. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the podcast. You made it all the way to the very end. So you must really like the show. In that case, I would be super grateful if you'd be so kind to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All you have to do is go to otherlife.co slash review. That's otherlife.co forward slash review. And it'll send you an Apple podcast. Just leave a review. You can be honest. Tell me what you really think. I'd really appreciate it because it'll help other people find the show. And I'm really trying to grow out the podcast. So thanks for listening. And thank you for leaving a review. I really appreciate it.